You are listening to The Investor Way with Sam Ball and Jonathan McEwen. If you enjoy the show, please subscribe and follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. Hello, welcome to The Investor Way with me, Sam Ball, my co-host, John McEwen. In this week's episode, we'll be discussing DS Smith, Donnell, Halfords, Gamma Communications, Ted Baker, and Acuity Ads. John, should we kick off with DS Smith? Yeah, so DS Smith, it's one we've covered a few times before, FTSE 100 listed Boxmaker, and they released a quarterly update this week. They said that volumes have grown very strongly since the start of May, compared with the same period last year, with particularly strong growth in the US and Southern Europe. However, there has been a notable increase in costs, including energy and transportation, leading to higher paper prices. Despite these increases, they've largely been offset by strong demand with prices passed on to the consumer. The group also announced that new manufacturing sites in Italy and Poland should be operational by the final quarter. And this was on a background of their full year results, which were released in June. I'll briefly recap those to provide some context. So the full year revenue had fallen by 1%, £6 billion. And that was a combination of the rising costs, volume declines in the first quarter, and reduced pricings in the first uh, reduced box pricing in the first half. Underlying profits were down 24% to 502 million. However, volumes were recovering in the new financial year and cost inflation was being offset by increased packaging prices. Corrugated boxes, the volumes rose 3.5% for the year with a 1% decline in the first half and 8.5% growth in the second. Northern Europe revenue was up 1% to £2.4 billion with strong box volume growth, although it was significantly impacted from higher costs and pricing declines and reduced in-store retail activity hitting the underlying profits, which were down 37% to £138 million. In Southern Europe, lower average selling prices offset the volume growth, leading to a 4% decline in revenue to £2.2 billion, and underlying profits were down 30% to £223 million. Eastern Europe, revenue was up 2% to £909 million, with strong volume growth. However, pricing led to underlying profits down 10% to £78 million. North America had seen revenue fall 5% to £541 million, attributed to increased internal use of paper. However, underlying volumes were pleasing and underlying profits were up 70% due to favourable package pricing and the group's new packaging plant in Indiana. Free cash flow was up to £486 million from £354 million, with a reduced capital expenditure due to COVID. Net debt had been down from £1.9 billion at the end of April 2020 to £1.6 billion, which equates to approximately 2.2 times profits at the same time this year. DS Smith currently has a market cap of £6.3 billion and trades at 14 times earnings compared with a 10-year average of 12 and has a prospective dividend yield of 3.5%. It's a company that I quite like. It's a relatively defensive play on a a growth trend with rising e-commerce and the environmental shift away from plastics. And the group is trying to reduce its costs by reducing the amount of paper it produces in-house, which is currently around 80%. It's targeting 60%. So hopefully when paper is expensive, as it is currently, margins won't be squeezed quite as much as they are at the moment. 
that there is a fine line between offsetting the higher costs and affecting the volume growth. And also it's carrying a fair bit of debt following the acquisition of Europac, which was the French, Spanish and Portuguese packaging group. Sam, what were your thoughts on DS Smith and this trading update or this, yeah, this quarterly update? I actually don't like the move to cut in the paper that it makes in-house. I don't really get why they'd want to do that. I understand what you're saying, that they're not going to get squeezed as much when it's... Yes, I, I just don't get it. I, I, I don't know why you wouldn't want more control over that. And it just puts them at the mercy of someone else then. I think, you know, Carnegie and Rockefeller wouldn't have done it. <laughs> what do, suppose- you think? do you think it's a good idea? I guess it's, I mean, at the moment, they've got 80% and they have been more in the past. And whether it's that they, that somebody else would be squeezed as a result and that they don't really believe that they can all, you know, in times when the costs are high, that they can actually pass that on with something like boxing. I mean, I think that is probably the argument that they would make. So somebody else could be squeezed for those lower margins further down the chain. Yeah, I mean, I guess I don't know enough about it, but I'd have thought a six billion pound company should be able to make the paper profitably. I know that some of it's outside of their control, but overall, you expect them to be saving money from producing it in-house because there's no markup because they're just selling it for their own use. So I just don't, I don't really get the move, to be honest. I don't, I don't particularly like it. Mm. So you think they they could, because I mean, they've been doing it this way for probably the last 20 years. And you don't think that it's going to increase their margins if they make this it, shift it or at least the, reduce it. It depends on the paper prices, doesn't it, though? Mm. It's not going to increase them. It's not going to increase the margins in all circumstances. It's only, well, it's, it's only when the, paper when the, price when the prices are higher like they are now. But I don't know. I, I just think I. If they're at 80%, if I was a shareholder, I'd rather see them targeting 100% instead of 60%. Because then you've got got that control over it, and I think that's worth having. Hmm. I'm I'm sure Carnegie could have made the same argument. Yeah, I suppose. Yeah, no, 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 quite. I mean, I suppose one of the other arguments would be that it's making the company less cyclical. Yes, but it is still going to be a cyclical business. (laughs) Yeah, no, that's, that's true. But the update, other than that, looks it looked quite good. It looks good, yeah. And I don't think the the valuation's outrageous, given it's got quite a lot of quite a few tailwinds in its favour. Yeah, yeah. No, I I would tend to tend to agree with you on that. And the dividends, Um, I think, quite attractive as well. Probably when we looked at it last time, it was even more competitively priced. But yeah, it's it's got it's got decent dividend as well, so it's not that expensive, and it's got those tailwinds behind it. So. It has, I mean, the share price has recovered a lot um, over the last year. It's up over 65%, and that's excluding the dividend. Not a bad year. It's not a bad year at all. Right, should we move on to Dunelm then? Yeah, Dunelm. So another, well, it's not another, but we've got a couple of retailers on the uh, on the list today. How's Dunelm doing? So Dunelm, if anyone doesn't know, it's the home of homes. It's basically like homeware stuff you can get in there if you've never been they have come out with their full year results and they've announced total sales growth of 26.3 percent digital sales growth of 115 percent active customer growth of 8.5 percent 
the digital mix of sales has gone up from 20% of sales being digital in the 2019 year to 46% in the 2021 year. The gross margin has increased by 130 basis points from 50.3% to 51.6%. And the operating cost as a proportion of sales has decreased from 39.4% to 39.1%. And the profit before tax has increased by 44.6% to 157.8 million. And the diluted earnings per share has increased by 46.6% to 62.9p a share. They've highlighted that their market share of the home loan market has increased from 7.5% to 9.1%. The stores were fully open for only 65% of trading days during the year. And that sales are up 21% compared to 2019 levels. They've announced that they're experiencing significant raw material and freight price inflation. However, they expect to mostly mitigate this through ongoing focus on sourcing and pricing where appropriate. They've currently got 175 stores and 152 of those stores have Pausa cafes in them. They've highlighted that the UK homewares and furniture combined market size is 25 billion per year. And they see significant headroom to grow with only 9.1% market share of homeware and just 1.3% of furniture. They've highlighted that since their IPO in 2006, the sales have grown by a compound annual growth rate of 10% per year. And for the 2022 guidance, they said they expect another year of good growth and they're expecting a slight decrease in gross margin as the trading calendar, as the trading calendar normalizes. In terms of the valuation, they're trading at a P ratio of 23.2 and have a dividend yield of 2.3%. And the market cap is 3.07 billion. My view is... It's not cheap, a P of 23, but with these results and the historic performance since IPO, I don't think you'd expect it to be too cheap. I think it looks like quite a good business, to be honest. I quite like it. What do you think, John? I was going to ask, have you ever been into a Dunelm? I have, yeah. I wasn't actually that impressed with the offering, but the results seem to be I, I don't know. I think, yeah, I, I actually thought it was very competitively priced and they were quite on trend, so i might disagree with you there actually but yeah i like the company i think the results are great it's growing its market share it's not it is i suppose for the the FTSE 100 it is pricey but i, th I think it'll probably continue to turn out those numbers i like got, it because they've got 15 years of 10 percent sales growth a year yeah a p of 23 that's soon, soon it does down. it does uh i mean it's one that I haven't ever looked at the shares, but I like the company and having a look at some of the, the results that they've produced now and that they've been producing historically. It's one that I'd probably be adding to my watch list, to be honest. It's definitely one of the better retailers that we've looked yeah, at. Yeah, that's right. We've got one of the worst coming up as well. <laughs> okay. Well, don't, don't spoil it. Yeah. Well, yeah. Okay. No, I like okay. it. I, I, was, I, I mean, this is the second time we've looked at it on the show. I'd probably been surprised by what a good business it is. I wouldn't, I just wouldn't have expected it. Yeah, I think it's one that, I, I think the first time we covered it, I hadn't moved flats, but now I've sort of moved and actually I've done a bit of home shopping and I quite like Dunnell uh, and I can see why it does well. Did you uh, use a cafe? I didn't, know, But I've, yeah, right next. What, what was the brand? Pause. Which chain? It's called. 
Okay. Okay. I'll have I'll have to go pay another visit. Go out for the day. <laughs> um, okay. Um, on to another retailer then, and one that's been experiencing a lot of tailwinds is Halfords, which we've covered a few times on the show. It's mainly bike and car accessory retailer. They released a 20-week trading statement with the headlines of revenue rising 10.5% in the first 20 weeks of the financial year. And compared with pre-pandemic trading, revenue rose 18.7% or 16.8% on a like-for-like basis. That reflects double-digit growth in all areas of the business. The group also warned of challenges, including cost inflation, freight disruption and capacity issues, along with recruitment problems amongst technicians and HGV drivers. Despite this, the group still expects to achieve a full year pre-tax profit of over £75 million. If we break the trading statement down a little bit further, the group reported that retail revenue was up 7.8% or 17.1% on a like-for-like basis, with customers moving from closed shops. With the increase in the staycation, touring products were popular, with motoring like-for-likes up 11.2% and cycling up 24.2% on a like-for-like basis, with strong sales particularly of their electric bikes. They did note that this was limited due to the low availability of bikes due to supply chain issues, which it expects to continue. Overall, online sales were up 83%. In the audit centres division, revenue was up 86.2% or 15.5% on a like-for-like basis with an increased scale and improved focus on business-to-business. The mobile expert vans grew 61.7%. However, recruitment challenges and COVID-related absences held back sales. Overall, on on this trading statement, shares were down 1.7% and 13% on the week. The market cap of Halfords is currently £615 million and it trades at 11 times earnings. That's more or less in line with the 10-year average. And it has a prospective dividend yield of 2.9%. And I suppose Halfords, for me, it's not a business that I particularly like, although it's hard to argue with the numbers that they're producing. It does have some extremely strong tailwinds, though, and it has done for the last 18 months. So I think it's been quite fortuitous, really. I'm not convinced by this new auto centre business in the long term, particularly with the move to electric cars and also the servicing that comes as part of the PCP deals, which most new cars are now sold on. What are your thoughts on Halfords and this trading statement, Sam? I mean, the trading statement's really good. Like you say, like it's it's been quite lucky with the pandemic. On the surface, these are really, really good. Well, these are really, really good results. And the PE of 11.2 is cheap. But mm. then I think if you dig a little bit deeper and you actually look at how the business has performed historically, you start to see why that PE is so low. So mm. if you go from yeah, so if you go from the 2017 year to the 2019 year, so the, the three years prior to COVID, revenue increased from 1.095 billion to 1.138. So it's barely budged. And then in the year, it did, I don't know how much of an effect that first lockdown had, but for the next year, which will have just covered the start of the pandemic, it's still barely increased. And then you've just seen since lockdown, it shot up. 
But I'd say based on the prior performance of the business, there's nothing to suggest it's going to continue. So I, that's probably why it trades so cheaply, despite the numbers it's putting up. And they are very good numbers, but I probably wouldn't pay 11 times earnings for it based on how it's done historically. And I think that's, like you say, it's, if you compare Dunelm with Halfords, yeah. it's reflected in the valuation. I mean, that, that, that is clearly why it trades at a lot, well, as a much cheaper price, about half of what Dunelm trades at. Yeah, and I'd rather pay up for a business like Dunelm, to be honest. Yeah, no, fair enough. Okay, on to our next company. Yes, so our next company is Gamma Communications. We have covered them before. They sell a lot of products which are fairly complicated to explain. So if you, <laughs> I'm not going over it again because it was quite difficult <laughs> to do the prep for that last episode. So I'd say you can go back and listen to that one. But essentially what a lot of their, it's uh, telecoms really, but a lot of it, they, they operate in like niches inside the telecoms industry. And like a lot of it, it's like the technology that allows the phones to communicate over the internet. So for example, like, you know, like you might see on your work phone, for example, like, SIP trunk activated or something and it's, it's gamma communications that is behind that technology so they have come out and as well I should mention they are listed on the AIM and not the FTSE I should also mention that I'm actually a shareholder in gamma communications so I am biased before I go into it but they've come out with their half year results and revenue was up 23% to 217.4 million Gross profit was up 20% to 111.7 million. Gross margin was up, or was down from 53% to 51%. Profit from operations was up 25% to 32.9 million. Profit before tax was up 24% to 32.4 million. Earnings per share was up 22% to 27p a share. The interim dividend per share was up 13% to 4.4p a share. And the cash generated by operations was up 34% to 43.1 million. So of the 23% revenue growth, the UK revenue growth in the biz in the period, which was largely organic, was 9%. And the European business grew revenues from 10.6 million to 35.4 million, which includes the inorganic growth from the acquisitions in Spain and Germany, which we talked about last time. I would point out that although the growth is inorganic so it's come from acquisitions those acquisitions are funded from the retained earnings of the business so the shareholders aren't being diluted and they're not taking on debt to pay for it so it's it's not organic but it's probably the best type of inorganic growth so recurring revenue makes up 89 percent of the total revenue and that's down from 94 percent last year They've said that that reduction is due to the acquisition of HFO in Germany, which includes mobile revenues, which are commission-based and hence not recurring. And the business also has lower margins, which is why the gross margin reduced from 53 to 51%. They've pointed out in the product launches section that in the core UK market, Gamma has successfully launched a number of key products, all of which have been well-received. And they include Phone Line Plus, which is a cloud-based voice application replacement service for a basic telephone line. It's easier to adopt than a full UCAAS solution and was made possible through their acquisition of Mission Labs. They've also launched an enhanced mobile service, which deepens Gamma's existing relationship with Tree and gives end users access to both 5G and Wi-Fi calling. And they've also launched 
SOGEA broadband, which provides end users with broadband without the need for a traditional phone line. Following the end of the half, they also launched a product enhancement that allows both new and existing Gamma customers to fully integrate their Horizon Cloud PBX service with Microsoft Teams. In the Netherlands, they introduced a WebEx video calling and conferencing service, which is fully integrated with the existing Cloud PBX product. In the product highlights, they've said there continues to be strong growth across the major product groups in the UK. The number of installed SIP trunks as of 30 June 2021 increased by 14.3% to 1.354 million, for, up from 1.185 million in December 2020, which confirms their leading position in the market. Those figures include the sales of the MS Teams direct routing product and seats on Exactus Cloud UCX platform. Overall cloud seats increased by 7% to 695,000 at 30 June 2021, up from 646,000 in December. The number of Horizon users increased by 6% to 638,000 from 601,000. And the number of Horizon users taking the additional Collaborate service increased by 20% from 46,000 to 55,000. The number of cloud PBX seats in, our European, in the European business grew 6% to 121,000, up from 114,000, which is the same rate of growth they're experiencing in the UK. So as previously mentioned, on 3rd of March 2021, they acquired Mission Labs, and the initial consideration was £40.8 million, with up to an additional £6 million contingent deferred consideration payable over three years, assuming certain development milestones are met. They'd previously been partnering with Mission Labs over the previous 18 months on various projects, such as Phoneline Plus. The addition of the Mission Labs team has accelerated Gamma's ability to take advantage of structural changes in the market, which are leading to a greater adoption of cloud services. The capabilities acquired will allow the group to bring additional new products and services into the market in which they operate. They said, we will continue to actively appraise acquisition targets to gain further scale and strengthen technology, product and people capabilities across the group. And in the current trading and outlook section, they said the performance subsequent to 30 June 2021 has continued to be healthy. During the various periods of lockdown, we have not seen any increase in bad bets from our historical low levels. Our new sales activity at the start of the crisis was slightly below its normal levels, and this affected our growth in a small way. As we are now coming out of the period of uncertainty created by the pandemic, sales activity has returned to normal, and we continue to be optimistic about Gamma's future growth prospects. As a consequence, the board expects that, initial, that revenue for the full year ending December 2021 will be within the, the range of current market expectations, which was raised following our trading updates issued on 20 May and 13 July. Now, our adjusted EBITDA and adjusted EPS are expected to be in the upper half of current market expectations. Company compiled analyst expectations for the full year, a revenue of 446 to 460 million and adjusted EBITDA of 90.5 to 95 million. For context with the expected full year revenue, 446 to 460 million, revenue for the previous year was 393 million. So that is an impressive rate of growth. And if you actually look, go back further, if you were to look at revenue growth from 2016 to 2020, it's gone from 213 million to 240, to 284, to 328, to 393, and now they're saying to 446 to 460. So it's consistently growing at about 20% a year. And a lot of it, as I've mentioned earlier, has been acquisitive, but those are funded by the retained earnings of the business. So in terms of the valuation, it's currently trading at a 1.99 billion pound market cap. And the shares actually fell about 10% after these results, 
which unless I'm missing something, I don't really understand why. My only guess would be that the valuation maybe got a little bit ahead of itself, but it's now trading at a PE ratio of 29, which I think given these results and the historic performance of the business is pretty reasonable, to be honest. What are your thoughts, John? I still don't really understand it. That's where I am at the moment. Is that the technology, though, that you don't understand? Yeah, pretty much. The um, technology is difficult. I'd say, like, when we did the prep for the first episode that we talked yeah. on, I mean, I spent, I must have spent about an hour figuring out what the main parts of the business do. Once, yeah. if you were going to be, like, really simplistic about it, 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 it's just, it just looks for niche areas in the telecoms industry. Um, the main one is just allowing the phones to communicate over the internet. Mm. So and I guess it's probably something that has fairly high barriers to entry as well. Yeah. And I'd say um, technology is so technology and what the product is aside, then what are your thoughts on the business? I mean, it sounds like it it's sort of it the numbers are very impressive, organic or inorganic. And the the valuation, certainly for this type of stock delivering this type of growth, doesn't seem that expensive, but I probably wouldn't be able to go much further without, you know, properly understanding the technology competitors in the market. And I guess where the technology goes from here as well um, and where the future growth is. But the future growth is Europe. So they're, they're quite yeah. dominant in the UK and they're starting to acquire European businesses yeah. now. So that's yeah. where I think the future growth comes from. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm obviously biased because I own it, but I like it a lot. And I think to get that level of growth, at such a reasonable valuation, I think it's very cheap. And as well, it's a stock that's delivered as well as a business. So over the last five years, the shares are up 322%. Yeah, it's you know, very impressive. So is it one that you'll be adding to it? What do you think of the current valuation? I don't think it's outrageous at a P of 29 for a business that just seems to be growing 20% year on year. I appreciate it's inorganic, but my view is when it's, when the acquisitions are funded through retained earnings, yeah. I don't have any issues with that. I, I think it's it's smart capital allocation on behalf of the management. Um, so I'm more than happy with that. I okay. probably won't be adding to it, but that's partly because my initial positions run up quite a bit now. Okay. So it's quite a decent sized position already just because it's it's done quite well. I think my initial position, it must be up about 50%. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't. It's more to do with the size of the position than anything else. Based yeah. on the valuation, I wouldn't be against adding to it at a P of twenty nine. Fair enough. On to another retailer, um, and one that you might not like so much, or certainly last time we didn't, is Ted Baker. So Ted had a quarterly update out, and for anybody who doesn't know, the the sort of upmarket high street fashion retailer and they announced that the second quarter group sales rose 50 percent on the same period last year which was actually in line with expectations and that reflected an increase in consumer confidence following the pandemic with shoppers returning in the uk and in the us and the group managed to reduce the amount of discounted stock helping margins However, this did also reduce the uh, number of online sales, which fell 25%, and they now make 39% of all retail sales online compared with the 67% that they did last year. Worryingly, though, compared with pre-pandemic levels, store sales are down 45% and footfall remains low. 
wholesale and licensed revenue more than doubled, however, and this is still, but this is still 29% down on the pre-COVID levels. And the group cautioned that the new online platform that they've been developing is going to be delayed until early 2022. They've also noted that they have material liquidity headroom. I mean, it's it's a stock that's pretty depressed. The shares were down. Oh, sorry, the shares were actually up on this news. Uh, cut that. It's, that's a, it's, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's a, a business that has been very distressed. And for reference, the full year results, which are out in June, which we did cover, the full year revenue was down 44% to $352 million, And they had a pre-tax loss of $59.2 million compared with a £4.8 million profit the year before, and including an impairment charge of £45.3 million with a reduced value of its assets, restructuring and other costs, the loss actually came up to £107.7 million. At the moment, Ted has no earnings, but trades at a price to sales of 0.6, which compares with a 10-year average of 1.3. And as we might expect, it has no dividend. So, I mean, I, I suppose some signs of hope, but it's coming from a very low base. It's got ongoing image problems after Huggate, and it's a retailer that was distressed before COVID and now is in pretty dire straits. Anything, any glimmers of hope that you can pick out from this step, this update or anything else apart about the business, Sam? I mean, I can't see anything in the trading update that I'd consider to be positive. I, the biggest issue for me is the decline in all online sales. Mm. I just think in the current environment, it shouldn't even be possible. <laughs> and, it, and it is. I just, I don't know. I mean, it's all, it's just bad news all around. And it has been for a mm. while now, this business. Mm. I, I mean, I, I think if you were really looking, maybe that, maybe that, maybe you could look and just have a look and think about whether they, they thought there was some value there. But I just don't know why you'd bother. I just don't know why mm. when it's putting up these kind of figures, it's just not, it's not a business I'd want to own. And it's not a business I'd sleep well at night owning. A few years ago, I made the mistake of buying Debenhams. And it's not something I wouldn't be trying to catch a falling knife again after that experience. So I'd, I'd just never even get to the point where I'm even looking at whether actually I think it's undervalued. Because for me, the business needs to be growing or at least not declining. <laughs> um, yeah. But I mean, the share price is just unbelievable i mean it was it was a darling wasn't it a few years ago it was yeah. about 30 pounds a share and it's yeah. one pound six yeah it was it was over 30 pounds a share and it's one pound 66 today and that it's been as low as 80p a share it's yeah yeah 94 decline if you'd held the shares over the past five years yeah yeah no it, i mean it's it i would tend to agree with you there's nothing really that i like about the business or that would even from a value proposition that I consider buying it for. So, yeah, anything more to add? No, you got anything positive to say? I still think it's quite expensive, you know, when you go into the store. So, <laughs> <I'm>, <laughs> yeah, no, I, I just, no, um, nothing nothing more to add. We should um, go in into the stores. Well, I, yeah, I didn't buy anything, but... A lot uh, of people aren't. <laughs> yeah. 
I contributed to the footfall, or not, the, although not the sales. Okay, so we've got our North American company this week, which is Acuity Ads, Sam. Yes, so Acuity Ads, I imagine most people haven't heard of them. So they're to do with the um, like programmatic advertising. So, you know, like, I mean, it wouldn't be because it's like a walled garden, but, you know, when you've got like the Fire TV stick and you get the adverts on it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's for like those kinds of platforms. So they deal with like the buying of the ads. So what they've got is, and what's quite interesting about the business is they've got a new product called Illumin. And what that basically does is it's kind of like, say you're on a Roku or something, and you, you've got the advert that you've got across the big the screen across the top, the big banner ad. What you can do with Illumin is you can say, well, for someone of like these demographic profiles, I want you to show them this ad and then show them this ad three times. And if they don't click on it, show them this ad. And then if they click on it, and you, you get this like this sequence of exactly what you want to happen with these, these demographics of advertisers, rather than it just being almost almost like random what ads are shown. Mm. So it does look like quite an interesting product. So this is a Canadian company, although they have recently listed on the NASDAQ. I should add, I'm actually a shareholder of this business as well, but it's a very, very small position. I bought, it was a 1% position and it was re- it was actually less than one percent. It's a tiny position, and it was I, the intention was from it would hopefully motivate me to have a look at it because I listened to it on another. Co- I listened to a podcast about it. I don't know. It must have been around Christmas time. It was a chit chat money episode where someone covered it, and it sounded quite interesting. So I bought a little bit of it, hoping that that would then motivate me to actually dig into it properly and maybe make it a proper position. And I just haven't bothered <laughs> this is the mm. first time i've actually properly looked at it but it is a tiny position i was hoping it would motivate me and it didn't so just for full disclosure <laughs> so all the figures given will be in canadian dollars by the way but they have come out with their q2 2021 results and for the these results are actually about a month old but because earnings seasons died down a bit I thought I'd go back and look at these given that I do own it so I probably should take a look at something at some point so these are the Q2 results which came out about a month ago and they announced total revenue for the three months ended June 30th 2021 was 30.3 million which was a 54.9% increase year over year and a 74.9% increase on a constant currency basis revenue growth was largely driven by our new advertising automation platform Illumin and newer emerging verticals such as pharmaceutical, technology, automotive, and direct-to-consumer brands. Gross margin for the three months ended June 30th, 2021 was 52.2%, compared to 51.7% for the same period in 2020, an increase of 50 basis points. Net revenue for the three months ended June 30, 2021 was 15.8 million, compared with 10.1 million in the same period of 2020, which is an increase of 56.4%. So the company does actually have earnings, which is somewhat unusual for our North American companies. Adjusted EBITDA increased over 154% to 5.1 million, compared with 2.1 million during the the comparative period last year. Adjusted EBITDA margin as a percentage of total revenue was 18%, and as a percentage of net revenue was 34.4%. Adjusted EBITDA for the trailing 12 months totaled 21.8 million, an increase of 88.7%, from the comparable period last year. I should add, it is up against quite easy comparatives because what happened was the advertising market completely shut down with COVID and then has reopened back up like a lot of other things. So do bear that in mind. It doesn't 
normally put out results as good as this. Total connected TV segment revenue for the first quarter of 2021 grew over 400% compared to the second quarter of 2020. The looming second quarter 2021 revenue was 5.2 million, which was up 60% compared to the first quarter of 2021, as previously announced on July 15, 2021. So that's revenues up 60% quarter over quarter rather than year over year. Net income was 3.4 million for the three months ended June 30, 2021, compared to a net loss of 1.6 million for the same period in 2020. Operating cash flow was 3.5 million, and that compared to 5.3 million last year. The company has cash and cash equivalents of 93.4 million, and that compares to 22.6 million in December. And that has been helped by the company completing a $57.5 million cross border public offer offering where it listed on the NASDAQ. So it did a little equity raise as well. So in terms of the valuation, the company trades at a market cap of 588.64 Canadian dollars, which is very small. And it trades at a PE ratio of 53. If we go over the last five, well, it doesn't, it doesn't go back five years, but from 2017, obviously trailing 12 months, revenues increased from 58 million to 118 million. Gross profit from 29 million to 61 million. And net income has gone from negative 6.5 million to 9.8 million. John, your thoughts on Acuity Ads and these results? I mean, I think they're very impressive results and it's a business with huge margins. I guess it's just the, the price at which it trades at. It's not a cheap company. It's trading at over 50 times forward earnings. Um, That's 50 times current earnings. Oh, sorry. 50, apologies. 50 times current earnings. And I don't know. It, you could be in for a bumpy ride if you did buy, buy those shares, but I guess the upsides on it and the margins kind of make up for it. Probably not one that I would buy, but I can I can see why, you know, the case for it, really. I was going to say, with share price, what's happened over the last year? Well, yeah, it's been pretty all over the place. So it started the year, so a year ago, it was about $3 a share. It ran all the way up to $32, and it's now down to just under $10. I bought it somewhere around $17, so I'm down about 50% on it. But mm. in the first month, I was up about 70 or 80%. <laughs> um, so it was going quite well. But like I say, it is a tiny position. Yeah. I actually think, like, given the market it operates in, it's going to have a lot of tailwinds. Mm. It's got this new product, which seems to be very well received. I mean, if it's growing 60% quarter over quarter, that's obviously going to slow down. But yeah. it's not going to take long before that's seriously contributing. And like you say, yeah. it's very high margin as well. I think at a PE of 53, it's actually not that bad, considering the, the Illumin product is very new. Yeah. I mean, the, the issue is, how do you know how big it could get? But I suppose when it's, when it's growing like that, the last five years of figures, they're not amazing. You know, revenue growth and doubling. I mean, given the price, revenue growth doubling over that period, it's probably like at the lower end of what you expect it to be doing. And really, for this kind of business, you would you would probably be hoping for slightly higher growth, actually. But I think at a PE of just over 50, I, I don't think it's outrageously priced, to be honest. Would you add to it? I don't feel I understand it well enough yet to be able to make it a full-size position. It's, okay. I view it almost as like a bit of fun to keep an eye on it, really. <laughs> okay. um, but I'd, I'd certainly take an, I would I would be willing to take another look at it, actually, because it does look quite interesting. 
Yeah, no, fair enough. So it's it's one that you're going to probably dig into a little bit more. Yeah, I'll continue to own it. I mean, yeah. I'm down 50%, so I may as well. <laughs> okay, fine. So yeah. of the six companies that we've covered, DS Smith, Dunelm, Halfords, Gamma Communications, Ted Baker, and Acuity Ads, if you were to buy one, which one would it be? I think I'd probably go for Dunelm, actually. I don't think it's outrageously valued, and I think it's a quality retailer, actually. So I'd, I'd yeah, probably go, go with that. I'd be going with Gamma Communications. I, I just think I really I really like the capital allocation strategy. The results are very impressive. The historic performance of the business is very impressive. I should add as well, I did read a book this week. Oh, yeah. It was um, Paths, Paths to Wealth Through Common Stocks by Phil Fisher. Oh, Phil Fisher, classic. And um, so he's not, he's any takeaway messages? So he's good. So his best known book is Common Stocks and Uncommon Profits. But he's actually mm. written four books. So I thought I'd try some of the others because Buffett actually said... When I, was, when I was listening to the annual meetings, he actually said that some of his other books are worth reading as well. It, it was really interesting. So he wrote the book in 1960. And he was talking, you know, so he did expand on some of his thoughts in Common Stocks and Uncommon Profits. Some of it was like quite high level discussion. And then a lot of it was just like his thoughts on like current market conditions and like what he mm. sees, like, like, for example, like the financial industry going forward, what he thinks of like the hot industries, so like mm. um, pharmaceuticals, um, mm. electronics businesses, which were like the tech companies of their day, mm. um, chemical companies as well. And he breaks down like what he thinks on those and like what the future is going to look like. So it is really interesting because it's like, as well as it being like an invest, it's almost like a, it's, it's almost like a history book, really, because it's, it's written, mm. well, because it's written in 1960 about what he thinks the 1960s are going to be like for these businesses and stuff. So it is really interesting. I would, and I would recommend it. Actually, I think there's a lot, lot of parallels that you could, you could get from example for the way he looks at like chemical stocks and electronics companies, and you could probably apply up a lot of those like, different industries today. I would say it's probably not, it's probably not a particularly good book for beginners, and you'd probably be helped by reading Common Stocks and Common Profits first. But I definitely recommend it. Very good. Okay. Well, on that note. Thank you very much for listening and we'll see you again next week. See you next week. Thank you for listening to The Investor Way. To get in touch, please follow us on Twitter at TIWTweets. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only and does not constitute financial advice. Neither Sam nor Jonathan are financial advisors. For investment advice, please consult professional advisors.